the following is a Barrett Sports Media production. We do the digging so you don't have to. We've got breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Bringing you the biggest stories from the industry you care about. This is the Media Noise Podcast. Well, let's hear it. Now, here's your host, Dimitri Robinos. Coming to you live today from my hotel room in Walt Disney World. Why? Because to paraphrase Kanye West, my life is dope and I do dope shit. Don't worry, the whole episode does not sound like this. Uh, I met up with Brandon Kravitz at his studio at 96.9 The Game here in Orlando, and he and I recorded the bulk of this episode. We will get to him coming up in just a moment, but first, I do think it is worth talking about. Gosh, it just dawned on me we are going to have a very heavy uh, NFL episode, but I do think it is worth talking uh, about the fact that the Washington Commanders rollout was met largely with disapproval, not for the name, but for the fact that in two and a half years of bandying about what to do, commanders and a logo that looked like it came off of NCAA football created team way back in the day was really lackluster. And it makes me wonder, given all of the media might behind the NFL, and we're going to get into that for nefarious reasons in just a moment, How on earth did the league allow the rebrand of the Washington Redskins, something that needed to happen long ago, something that some fans had been waiting for for a long time, how did they let it land with a thud? Uh, Back when Gene Chizik was hired as Auburn's football coach, we're talking about, oh, I believe nine? Yeah, I believe it was the oh nine, right before the oh nine season. There was a caller to the Paul Feinbaum show, an Auburn fan, uh, that said he felt the way about the Gene Chizik hire that I think a lot of Washington football fans felt about the Commander's rebrand. And I'm quoting here, we needed to make a splash, and all we got was a fart bubble in the bathtub. So I'm in studio with Brandon Kravitz. We have been, I think, doing this for... What, a little under a year you've been with us? And we've done this like four or five times together, and this is the first time we're actually face-to-face. I know. It's strange to to actually see someone like a real 3D image (laughs) of a human in front of me. This is bizarre. It's so funny. The organization is so spread out that sometimes you forget, like, you know, if guys come to the summit, we meet face-to-face. But there are plenty of people that I've worked with for four years that I have never shaking hands, fist bumped, anything like this. So thank you for having me in the studio. Of course. It's my pleasure. All right. So I always like doing these with you because I think you think about this industry a lot and the way that whatever the issues are, the way we present things, all that sort of stuff. So let's talk about two NFL topics this week and the way the media handled them. Tom Brady is where we'll start. Obviously, he has retired after 22 years in the NFL I wrote this piece. You wrote a really great piece. We're going to get into that in just a second, because I I think that if you are in sports radio, you should absolutely read Brandon's piece this week. But I wrote this piece that I thought it was really interesting that there was a backlash to Jeff Darlington and Adam Schefter, the ESPN reporters, that broke the story, that they did not wait for Tom Brady's blessing to break the story. Now, Tom Brady refutes that he's retiring and then does it, what, two days later, three days later? 
Which is even made more bizarre by him having his podcast released the night before. Like, literally hours before he it. Yeah. says, oh, I'm going to take some time, and then the time was, what, eight hours? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was the timing of all of it was bizarre. So, tell me how you feel about that. I, I hate what I call media-on-media media crime, but what I really hate are these people that profit from this industry that then pretend we are the worst people on the planet because we aren't polite to the subjects we're covering? Yeah, I mean, first of all, to, to the broader point, when people in the media say the media and say <laughs> it with that sort right. of vim and vigor, I'm like, you're talking about yourself. Yeah. You know, I, I, so I never understand that. If I, I understand there's this contentious relationship between fans, people at large, and media, but yeah, when you have people in the media that are yelling at the media, that always throws me off. And so this is a good example of that. I did not have a problem with it. I actually went out of my way to apologize to ESPN because the original piece that I wrote, I called their reporting clumsy. Yeah. Because when I wrote it, it was I wrote that on Sunday afternoon. So this was 24 hours removed from Darlington and Schefter's reporting. The Bucks didn't know, yep. or at least that's what was being reported. The Bucks didn't know. Tom Brady's father, there was a report that came out that said, that he said, Brady's not retiring, and Brady hadn't said anything yet, so it felt like they had kind of jumped the gun, and maybe their sourcing was bad. Mm -hmm. So shame on me for calling them out, because they stuck to it. They kept reporting it on TV and on print and, and on their website and all of that, and it came to fruition. So when that happened, I said, look, I called their reporting clumsy. It wasn't. In this business, it's so competitive. Adam Schefter, I don't know what he makes, but I'm sure it is a hefty, hefty yeah. annual salary. The report is somewhere over $3 million a year. In order to substantiate a contract, a salary like that, you've got to back it up with good, solid reporting and For get sure. everybody else to the punch. You have to assume as a reporter that if I have something that somebody else that's a competitor of mine is also either has it already or is going to get it. Yep. And if you're Adam Schefter, you just can't sit on information like that because it's too big. It's unfortunate because, yeah, that's, that's not the way that we as fans would want Tom Brady to have his retirement reported. But, unfortunately, that was a leak within Brady's circle. That's right. the biggest problem in all of this. You know, the thing that I equate this to is sort of like the people or the coaches in college football that complain about whether it's the transfer portal or NIL or something. Like, well, that's the world we live in now, yeah. right? We live in the Twitter world. We live in the world where sports news moves very quickly. It is not Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington's job to change the rules. It's their job to go out and win with the game that's put in front of you. For sure. I mean, that you, you have to – this is just sort of the moving train that we're on right now. Is it, does it create evils in our covering of sports? I mean, maybe in some perception. But, I mean, at the end of the day, what – was actually harmed yeah. by the way that all of this was done. They had news that they felt like they could run with. Clearly, they were confident enough that they heard it from somebody that was close enough to Brady to where they weren't just going to roll out. Uh, how embarrassing would it have been <laughs> if he wasn't retiring, if he right. came out uh, a couple days ago and said, hey, I'm coming back to the Bucs. You know what, my go dream, play elsewhere. you know what my dream scenario would have been? That he was planning on retiring and then decided to play one more year just to screw ESPN. Oh, you know, I mean, that was, <laughs> people loved rolling with that because that does feel like something. Tom Brady's such a competitor. He's right. so, he wants to be so controlling of his narrative that it would have made a lot of sense had he done that. I think it would have been cool, too, if, they, if he had actually been able to hold on to this 
and unveiled it in an episode of Man in the Arena, which right. was a partnership that he had with ESPN. Right, which, by the way, very similar to the Manning cast and uh, Omaha Productions, Peyton's company. He owns, Tom Brady owns Man in the Arena. He could have held this out for a huge surprise if he really wanted to. Yeah, and it would have been easy because if you're Brady, you only have to tell the woman that's sleeping in the bed next to right. you, your kids, and that's it. Right. Uh, you wrote a great piece on Monday that said that Tom Brady has put an end to what at one time was a very lazy sports radio topic, the GOAT amongst NFL quarterbacks. I thought about this as I started writing my piece yesterday. I think he might be the only athlete in all of sports where you say he is the best to ever do what he did and to even suggest anyone else is almost laughable, depending on your age. Even Michael Jordan doesn't get that courtesy anymore. No, he doesn't. And that's the amazing thing about Tom Brady. I think you do have to clarify, though, that it's team sports. Right. Because individual sports, there's no other swimmer that touches Michael Phelps. Sure. There's no other female tennis player that touches Serena Williams. So there are, there are these gaps in other sports. But if we're talking about team sports, and really if we're being honest with ourselves, the team sports and the sports that we cover on a regular basis – as a country at right. large that we're really focused on. So Major League Baseball, NBA, um, NFL, college football, you know, the, you know, the, the money makers. And there is no other yeah. that, that has, where you just, you can't even have the conversation. Honestly, you'd sound like an idiot. You would. If you tried making the argument because, oh, well, he's, he's not the most talented quarterback of all time. Okay, well, he's got the statistics to back up that he is. So he, he checks all the boxes because he's statistically the best. Uh, winning in crunch time, he's the best. The big moments, he's the best. You know, he's he's done it all, and he did it over the longest period of time. There's nothing that he hasn't done. Where if if you were to enter into that debate, I don't know how you really make the argument for anybody else to slam the door shut on a conversation like that about the league that we talk about the most, and then the position that yep. we talk about the most within that league. And it's a dead argument, and it probably will be for the rest of our lives. I don't think anybody else is going to come close to what Brady has accomplished. So I was with some uh, some friends in Jacksonville yesterday, and I said, you know, by all rights, this should be Trevor Lawrence that we're talking about as an heir apparent. But, like, what faith do you have that he's going to – like, I, I would believe Trevor Lawrence throws his hands up and says, the hell with football, before I believe he wins a Super Bowl in Jacksonville. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to transition to another NFL topic, the lawsuit, the class action suit that Brian Flores and his attorney have brought against the NFL and three teams, the Dolphins, Giants, and Broncos. I think we have known for a long time that the Rooney Rule is well-intentioned, and virtually impossible to pull off the way it is intended to be pulled off. Um, the NFL just went through another race-based class action lawsuit as it relates to Colin Kaepernick, and it feels like the league and the media, not all the media, but specifically the media that is in bed and carrying water for the league, has not learned its lesson yeah. at all. Well, and I, I, you know, it's, it's funny when you look back at how all of this came about. It's like the best mistake that Bill Belichick ever made because <laughs> right. he, like, his hands aren't dirty as, at all, yet it, it's his text message or alleged text messages to Brian Flores that kind of sheds light on the whole sham of the way that the Rooney rule has been exploited by yeah. these owners and general managers. When, when he said, hey, Brian, congratulations on the job, and he thought he was talking to Brian Dable and, and not Brian Flores, 
but Brian Flores was a couple days away from getting that interview. That's the problem. You know, this system was created to give guys opportunities to get these interviews, uh, but, but eventually it was supposed to turn into jobs. And, and somehow, some way, over the course of my life, and I'm 36 years old, I grew up with names like you know, Dennis Green, Ray Rhodes, Lovey Smith, Tony Dungy, and now we've got Mike Tomlin. Right. That's it. Right. I mean, you know, so one thing I do want to point, because everyone says we have one coach of color, it's Mike Tomlin. We do have two. Ron Rivera's not black, but he is Latino, which does make him a minority. And, like, in the past, he has been accepted as a Rooney Rule interview before he established himself in Carolina, right? Um, that doesn't mean it's not a problem. Like, it absolutely is a problem. And I also think that one of the things that really stood out to me, and this is not the majority of coverage of this lawsuit, it is just some of it. Um, there is a particular group in the media that bends over backwards to make sure that you cannot bring race into anything. That when somebody has a valid point, they're, they're back in this corner of having to be racist. Like They just are, and they've done yeah. it to themselves. And I'm not saying that I think, you know, I'm not even going to name names, because I really don't think these people at their core are racist. I think they have backed themselves into a corner by trying to cater to a particular group for so long that they've gotten nowhere to go. So you, so you're basically saying that there's the group that's out there that they claim that nothing is racist, which means they've done that for so long that they can't claim right. that like, anything is like racist. Let's, let's go back to the Kaepernick thing. It is probably fair to say that there is a legitimate argument that the year after, or the, the first year of his blackballing, right, there is probably a legitimate argument that it's possible uh, Colin Kaepernick was not one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the league. There is no legitimate argument that he wasn't one of the top 64. Right, and that's all he was arguing the whole time. Yeah, but people stayed so married to uh, the idea that he that this wasn't a blackballing, this wasn't about race, that they backed themselves into a corner of having to argue things they had to know logically. Oh or yeah, not, are I mean, you telling me you would rather have Blaine Gabbert than Colin Kaepernick? <laughs> Give me a break. I mean, just like with this situation, there's a reason why. Is it just simply a black African-American issue uh, coaching in the NFL? No, it goes across the board. We, we don't have the conversation with Hispanic head coaches, Native American head coaches. It's not simply... I mean, we're just, knocking on the door of women head coaches, too. For sure, and, and, and they're on staff, like in Tampa. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, all of that's well and good. The reason why we focus primarily on the black issue is because you've got so many former players that then enter the world of coaching, and we've talked about this for years with different um, bits of, the, of society where, where you say there's a ceiling on the level of success that you can have. You, it, you'd be hard-pressed to look at a black former player who became a coach and be able to confidently tell them there isn't a ceiling on the success that yeah. you can have in this industry. Let's take a look at the examples, because there are so many position coaches coordinators that get these opportunities and then they're capped and when they do get an opportunity to become head coaches what happens their their tenure doesn't last very yep. long and then they don't get a second opportunity right that retread uh, word that we like to use seems to only apply to white coaches and it's not an opinion it's a fact and so for those individuals that you're talking about that just paint themselves in that corner where they can't have a racial conversation because they've 
they've just demonized the word where you can't use it. <laughs> right. I think that you end up you end up stripping yourself of fact based discussions. Yeah. And with something like this, the only opinion to me that enters in is is how do you change it, not should it change. So let's wrap up here because fact based discussions I think is a really good transition to a very simple question. What the hell is the NFL network supposed to do with this story? I mean, what the hell are they supposed to do? I, I think stories like this, what is going on in baseball right now with the lockout, these are really good pieces of evidence for the argument that maybe we don't need state TV when it comes to sports. You know, I mean, I, at a time like this, it does make that awkward. But as just a consumer of this stuff, yeah. I like the fact that I can go to those locations and know – I'm getting nothing but this coverage. Right. You know, during baseball season, I feel like I can't even turn on ESPN if I want baseball news because they're just beating me over the head with Aaron Rodgers yeah. trade rumors. So I love the fact that I can go to Major League Baseball and go watch their highlight shows. But it does create this awkwardness. You know, maybe there should just be that separation of church and state where they maybe they just need to peel it back and right. not be in the news industry and just simply talk about what is going on on the field and and maybe you know trade rumors and things like that, like the fun stuff. Yeah, like if they never get in to the controversy of the game. I, I don't know. Maybe you just look like you're burying your head in the sand if you do that. But you end up in this da- dangerous situation where how are you supposed to cover this look, with credibility? Last week, you know, Paul Feinbaum was on the show and he said that part of the SEC Network's guiding principle is to look back at what the Big Ten Network did when the. Uh, uh, um, Jerry Sandusky stuff was breaking, and they were told never to talk about Jerry Sandusky or Joe Paterno, and part of the SEC Network's guiding principle was we're not going to ignore reality. Yeah. Like, and, and I say this as a dyed-in-the-wool SEC fan. It doesn't always work that way there either. Like, it's really hard to serve two masters. It is, way. but I think there's also a way around it. You don't have to have the debate segment... 10-minute argument or diatribe of somebody, even if they're on the, the, the quote-unquote right side of history, as we would like to say, <laughs> right. we don't have to have that. You can do your, uh, your updates at the bottom of the hour and top of the hour and talk about what is happening as a news organization, yeah. just saying this is what's happening. You, you don't have to get into the opinion of it or the big problems that the NFL face. You can simply say the facts are Brian Flores has filed a lawsuit this is what he's claiming. And now back to uh, John in the studio, and, and he can talk about the Rams-Bengals game. All right, big thank you to Brandon Kravitz, not just for joining me, but for giving us a place to record this week. Obviously, in the weeks ahead, I mean, look, we are entering Super Bowl week, so there are going to be plenty of NFL media-related stories. But just like everybody else, we're going to keep on our eye on what the fallout from this Brian Flores lawsuit is against the NFL. There are media implications here that I'm going to be very interested to be paying attention to as this case proceeds forward. So stick around and we will look at it together. This concludes our broadcast day. Thanks for listening to the Media Noise Podcast with Dimitri Ravanos. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. And check back soon for new episodes. To stay up to date on the latest sports media happenings, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com. 